The epistle for this Feast of the Holy Family is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Brethren, put you on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, the heart of mercy, benignity, humility, modesty, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if any have a complaint against another, even as the Lord has forgiven you, so do you also. But above all these things, have charity, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ rejoice in your hearts, wherein also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual canticles, singing in grace in your hearts to God. All whatsoever you do in word or in work, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the second chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. When Jesus was 12 years old, they going up into Jerusalem, according to the custom of the feast, and having fulfilled the days, when they returned, the child Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and his parents knew it not. And thinking that he was in the company, they came a day's journey and sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And not finding him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his wisdom and his answers. And seeing him, they wondered. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said to them, How is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they did not understand the word that he spoke unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. And his mother kept all these words in her heart. And Jesus advanced in wisdom and age and grace with God and men. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, about four months ago, I gave a sermon about communism, and I quoted uh, various passages from the encyclical of Pius XI on communism, Divini Redem Torres. And one of the passages I quoted emphasized that one of the central principles of communist thought is that of absolute and total equality. And I mentioned that because they have this idea that there must be absolute and total equality, it has various consequences. The first consequence being that communists reject all authority. If we're all absolutely and utterly equal, there's no God above us, and there's just human beings, and there's no real reason for anybody to be subject to anybody else. You just do what you want. And then secondly, a second consequence of this principle of absolute equality is that communists reject the possession of property. They do not allow the possession of private property because wealth makes for distinctions among people. It puts one person above another. Um, the more wealthy person has more power than the less wealthy person. And so they forbid the acquisition of property, which is the basis of wealth. After pointing out those two consequences of the communist principle of absolute equality, I mentioned a third consequence, and I said, we don't have time to get into it in this sermon, but you can think for yourselves what this principle of absolute equality, what impact it has 
on men and women and their respective roles and differences for fathers and mothers and for families. Communists cannot allow men to be men and women to be women. So what we did not have time to get into on August the 30th, today on this Feast of of the Most Holy Family, I think is a good time to revisit that third consequence of the communist principle of absolute equality, their take on the family. Well, as I said, because they have this dream of total and utter equality, they, they try to get rid of anything that stands in the way of that equality. First of all, authority. Secondly, private property. property. And then thirdly, the family. Why does the family stand in the way of absolute and utter equality? Because the family has built a natural hierarchy into it, whereby the husband and the father is the head of the family, and he's meant to support and protect his family. The wife is the heart of the family, and she is meant to be at home and provide for the domestic needs of the family and run the home. And of course, the children are the fruit of the union of the husband and the wife, and the parents have authority over the children. And so you have these three very distinct roles that are built into the traditional family unit as designed by God. So communists do not like the family because it makes room and incorporates into it these natural, unequal, God-given roles for father, mother, and children. Another reason why they do not like the family is because it reduces labor. In their view, the whole point of human existence is for us to work. We're just purely material beings. There's nothing spiritual about us. We're just clumps of matter. And as clumps of matter, the very best thing we can do is produce other matter. We can produce things. We can make stuff. But of course, the family gets in the way of that. It does not direct people towards the making of stuff as a primary goal. Rather, it directs them towards the interests of the family, and especially the role of the woman, who is um, so occupied with the care of her own children. So when Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, who at the origin of communist theory, when they put their heads together and wrote their books about their theory, they very much attacked the family. They co-authored a book in 1844 called The Holy Family, which promoted revolt against the institution of the family. Then 40 years later, in the same day that Karl Marx, the same year that Karl Marx died, Frederick Engels wrote another book entitled The Origin of the Family, Private Property, and the State. And in this book, he looks over his society, the society in, in which he lived, in which uh, the traditional family unit was still very much a part of society, and he gave various principles by which the traditional family unit could be destroyed, and especially in regards to the role that the wife and the mother plays in the family. And he set eight objectives that he thought needed to be accomplished so that women could be, quote-unquote, emancipated from their God-given role in the family 
and be set free to fulfill their human destiny of producing stuff just like everybody else. They could go out and be a laborer and put their hard hat on or go into the factory and just make stuff like all human beings are meant to do. Eight things by which to destroy the traditional family. Number one, women must be allowed to work in the factories on an equal basis with men. You have to allow them to work as well because that's what all humans are meant to do as a primary purpose. Secondly, divorce must be made free and easy. If anyone wants to destroy their family unit, they must find an easy path to do so. It must be readily available to destroy your family unit. Thirdly, the defined roles for the two sexes must be eliminated. We must wipe out any distinction between man and woman. After all, it is these distinctions, these God-given distinctions between the two genders that leads to marriage, the complementarity of the two sexes, the special genius of the man, the special genius of the woman, is what makes them so fit to come together and form a family. So we wanted to erase those distinctions and those roles. Fourthly, the, no the notion of women as housekeepers, as carers of their own home, as queen of the domestic setting, must be eliminated and it must be turned into an industry Instead, the housekeeping be done by workers who just simply do it as a job. But no longer should women have this role of caring for their own home. Fifthly, and even worse, the role of women as the, the carers of their own children must be taken away from them and also turned into an industry so that families no longer have their children cared for by their mothers and fathers, but rather by workers at a daycare. We create all these daycares and send the children off to be cared for and raised by the community. Number six, the stigma and concept of illegitimacy must be eliminated. This idea that children who are brought into the world outside of a family unit are not brought into the world in a proper way. This idea that the right way to bring children into the world is within the context of a committed relationship between a man and a woman such that they've had this married contract. We must eliminate that notion and any bringing of children into the world in any context whatsoever is acceptable. Number seven, the definition of family must be changed to be more open and flexible. We call many more things family than just the union of a man and a wife in a marriage. And number eight, sexual activity must be unrestrained. So my dear faithful, I think we can see today how successful these communist goals have been. Um, even in the United States of America, even though we're not a communist country in many respects, yet these eight goals, when we look at these eight goals... Frederick Ingalls, just 150 years ago, we can see how prevalent this vision is in our 21st century world. In our American society, divorce is free and easy. Marriage can, can be made and unmade at will. Traditional male and female roles are despised and mocked. 
There are so many parents today who have the daycare raise their children so they can go off and make stuff and make money. Births out of wedlock in the United States went from just 5% in 1960 to 40%, an increase of eight, eight times in 2014, from, eight, from 5% to 40% in a matter of 50 years. And today there's very little stigma attached to having children when you are unmarried. It seems perfectly acceptable to do so. As you know, family definitions have changed by legislation of the Supreme Court. We call family many more things today than just the union between a man and a woman. Sexual activity is unrestrained. Birth control and abortion are considered to be part of a woman's health care so she can be emancipated, quote-unquote, from the duty of raising children. She can have sexual activity unrestrained without any of the consequences of having to bear children. So she can have this career in the workplace, so she can uh, get out there and make money and fulfill that most important goal of all human beings in the mind of the communists to do work. The family today is being attacked to such a degree that people are even taking objections to language that refers to family. They don't even want you to speak in using words that, that correspond to the male and the female roles that have traditionally been occupied in a standard family. You may know that just a few days ago, um, in the opening of the 117th Congress of the United States, they proposed new rules for the official documents of the Congress. And they wanted struck from all official, official documents going forward any language that refers to male or female roles in families. Here are the words that they want to no longer appear in any official document of the United States Congress. Father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, first cousin, nephew, niece, husband, wife, father-in-law, mother-in-law, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, stepfather, stepmother, stepson, stepdaughter, stepbrother, half-brother, half-sister, grandson, and granddaughter. Every single one of these words, they want to no longer appear in official documents of the United States Congress for fear that these words might be threatening to people who have a different notion of gender. And of course, this is a massive attack on the family when, when they won't even allow you to speak using words that refer to family. They're controlling the way you even talk about an institution that is ingrained into the, the very uh, depths of our human nature. Meanwhile, our economic system today, it places profit above family because it does not accommodate the rearing of families. There is not the support given to families in the state as should be. 
whereby companies have this notion, this traditional Catholic notion of the living wage, where the man who's working is given sufficient salary in order to raise his family. This is the last thing on their minds. What they're concerned about is their profit margin. They're concerned about their share price. They're not concerned about whether this man that's working or that man that's working has a family, how many children he has, how much do we need to pay him so he can reasonably expect, be expected to support his family. It's just all based on what does he do, how much is he worth to our company, how much can we expect to get out of him. In this sense, the pursuit of money is placed far above human existence. Commercial enterprise is directed primarily and solely to the production of money to the detriment of individual human beings. The way things should work is that the family should not be for the state, but the state should be for the family. The state should be the one that's looking for the interests of the citizens in their families and crafting its laws and employers with their companies so as to foster these traditional family units which are the cells of our society and make it function in a way that is proper and right. So it's extremely difficult today, as you well know, for a large family to survive on one salary, and those who work are often asked to spend an excessive amount of time at their job to the detriment of the time that should be spent with their families. What, my dear faithful, is the perspective of a faithful Catholic on all these questions, on this question of the nature of family and the importance of family? Well, it's firstly that family and marriage come directly from God himself. It's Family is simply the result of the way that God has created human beings. He's designed the family as the way, the only way, by which the human race is meant to be propagated, that children cannot have all that they are designed to need unless they have a father and a mother in a stable, lifelong relationship to support them and raise them. As I say, society is for family. Family is not for society. We believe that God himself chose to take on a human nature, and that when he did so, he purposely entered into the context of the very family unit that he had designed, just as he had designed human beings for man and woman to come together into a family when he came on this earth. He came into a family exactly of that type, where he chose Mary, Our Lady, to be his mother. He chose St. Joseph, to be his foster father. And he wanted to be raised from infancy in this traditional family unit, this family structure he had created, wherein St. Joseph supported the family with the trade, his trade of carpentry. He protected Our Lady and Our Lord. He defended them. He honored them in his male role, in, wherein Our Lady took care of the house she was the queen of the domestic setting. She cared for our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord, as the child, was obedient and submissive to his parents, even though he was God and infinitely superior to both of them. God wanted, when he came on this earth, as it were, to incarnate 
the reality of the family as he had established it, to bless that family and to give a supreme example of family life to all generations. And we know also from this example that the family is not just meant to be a context where uh, man and woman come together, they have children, they have their domestic life. But it also has a supernatural goal. The family that our Lord formed when he came on this earth was a holy family. It was a family with a supernatural goal that was practicing virtue and directed towards God in all that it did. No one can doubt, says Pope Leo XIII, that in this holy family was displayed every virtue which can be called forth by an ordinary home life with its mutual services of charity, its holy interaction, and its practices of godly piety, since the holy family was destined to be a pattern to all others. We have represented in St. Joseph and Our Lady the supreme model for all fathers and mothers, for all wives and husbands. Fathers are supposed to have St. Joseph as their model, especially in his submission to divine providence and his patient bearing of trials, of the trials of the Holy Family. His ability to commit himself um, with such determination to the good in that family. He was a man's man. For him, talk was cheap. He did his job. He led them into Egypt at, at a moment's notice. He stood by Our Lady at all times. He led his family. Mothers are supposed to have Our Lady as their model, especially in her lively faith and her profound humility. They're supposed to have this ideal of, of looking after their children and their home in the very same way that Our Lady looked after our, our Lord and tended to their domestic affairs in Nazareth. This great piety that Our Lady had, her tenderness um, towards our Lord and towards St. Joseph, her dutifulness in carrying out all her duties. This, my dear faithful, this is the very best answer that we can give to the disorder in the world around us. We can even say the insanity of the world around us to form solid and holy families with husbands and wives who love one another, who support one another, with children who have this example of virtue set before them in their everyday family life. And I think, you know, it's, it's something of a minor miracle in this 21st century that we have a community like this where there are so many families who have that stable relationship between the husband and the wife. They're, they're committed for life and they're pursuing that Catholic ideal of the traditional family, of the holy family. Families who are trying to live as a family in the way that God established it, who are having all the children that God gives them, even though it's so financially difficult today, who are living with the Catholic faith at the center of their family life. And you have to remember this when you get discouraged at the evil and the craziness of the world around you. Um, they may just try to destroy the family. They are definitely trying to destroy the family. They try to destroy gender. They try to destroy nature. But they are utterly helpless 
against these things. They are powerless to gain those victories whereby they want to destroy God's naturally ordained order for our lives. They are against nature, but nature is against them because they are not God. It's God who has established human beings, who has made us what we are, who has made marriage and family the very identity of our human existence. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing they can do against that because they will never be God. God is on your side. God's natural world is on your side. God's supernatural grace is on your side. And they can't take any of those away from you. So my dear Fifa, on this feast of the Holy Family, ask St. Joseph to strengthen you in your commitment to your family and its eternal goal. Ask Our Lady to soften your labors and to give you a love for those labors. And ask our Lord especially to be with your family every day of your life, that, that he truly reign over your family, that he be at the center of all that you do in your family. No matter what happens in the world, the goal that you have, the goal that you're pursuing, that goal of eternal happiness in heaven, that supernatural goal is always attainable. And it must be the, the main thing that you hope for and you strive for in your life. There is an eternal glory waiting for you for imitating the Holy Family, even in this 21st century world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.